Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. What I see here is that Christ does not like envy because at the root of it is a pride and arrogance that is essentially idolatry. We bandy about the words jealous and envious without too much thought. Jesus tells us that envy comes out of the heart of man and does us no good. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, God warned the people of Edom about the perils of envy, envy being the gateway to other sins. There's a warning in there for us too, I'm thinking. Let's tackle Edom's envy as tonight Dr. Corbett opens Jeremiah chapter 49. We are looking at Jeremiah's word as he's giving his final messages in the nation of Egypt. He's gone down there and we've seen that he's taken a little bit of time to speak to the people of Ammon and now he's going to speak to the people of Edom. And if you are familiar with the, the background of the Bible, you'll know we covered the origin of Ammon and Moab, how they were uh, half-brothers, same father, uh, who were the result of an unfortunate start, an unfortunate start of being incest. And here they are, nations in their own right now, and God had a word for them, but he also had a special place for them in his heart. And this is perhaps confusing that when we read these passages that sound like God's judgment, that it, it's tear-stained judgment. And the prophet Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet. He, didn't, he, he wasn't a hellfire and brimstone prophet. He wasn't someone with the bony finger wanting to wag it at people because he, he had that sinister laugh. He was someone who deeply cared. And here he is about to talk to Edom. And, and we'll see the origin of Edom in a moment. And this is, this is what I could call this passage, I've uncovered your hiding places. And, and it's, it's a shocking thing that Edom... The people who, as you may recall, uh, Jacob and, e and uh, Esau uh, shared the same parents, but they were nothing alike. There's actually something in this, as I was pondering this, about family relationships, and we might touch a little bit about the dynamics of family relationships and how two children can be raised by the same parents in the same home, in the same way, and both turn out so completely different. And Jacob and Esau is a, is a case in point. And so as they became nations in their own right, Jacob, of course, had his name changed to Israel and was, became the father of the nation of Israel. Esau fathered a nation that became known as Edom. And Edom, as time went by, they moved further and further away in both relationship to Israel and in relationship to the God of Israel. And it's a tragic thing because I think God's heart was to reach out to Edom, the people of Esau, and to, through Israel to bring them into relationship with him. And Israel was always meant to be that vehicle to do that. And yet they were so self-absorbed, so self-centred, so arrogant that they forgot about their neighbours and they thought God's blessing was all about them. And the result is absolutely tragic that the people of Edom, the descendants of Esau, mocked the God of Israel because of what they saw in the lifestyle of the Israelites. It's really tragic. And here God is now saying to the people of Edom, 
you, you don't think you'll drink from this cup? I gave this cup, and this is the cup of wrath and judgment. I gave this cup to my people Israel, and they only just deserved it. You, on the other hand, have forsaken me, openly, publicly rejected me, not even played a pretense of knowing me. How much more will you drink from this cup? And it's, a, it's an interesting statement from God as he's dealing with this nation. And so what we see here is something really curious, and I want to take us on a little bit of a journey as we look at this, because this is really what I should have called this message, Edom's Envy. And what I want to do in a moment is show you what God has to say to Edom because of their envy. Remember, they started off as two brothers, twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau was actually the older brother. Jacob was the younger, you may recall. And envy ruined Edom. So this is God's word to the Edomites, and there is a warning in it for us, I believe. And as I've mentioned, they shared the same father, they shared the same mother, and they were twins, and they became ultimately national enemies. We're reading from verse 7 of Jeremiah 49, and it says this, Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, and that's a military term, by the way, the Lord of hosts is when God is addressing people as the, the commander-in-chief of an army. Is wisdom no more in Teman? And if you've read the book of Job, you'll realise one of Job's comforters was a Temanite. It was renowned for its wisdom. And Job indeed would have come, been, Job probably almost certainly was an Edomite. He would have been in that country. So this tells me it's possible that you may not have had the advantage of being raised by Christian parents, but it is possible that God can still put his hand on your life and still call you to him and you can still find him. Job did. And so one of his comforters was a Temanite renowned for wisdom and this is God saying, is there no wisdom left here? And it goes on, has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished and so God is declaring to Edom that they are going to be judged for their wickedness. And you've got to understand, the Bible uses some words very deliberately. Evil is one thing, wickedness is another thing altogether. And evil is just when you do the wrong thing. It's just wrong, it's evil, it's wrong, and it always results in someone getting hurt, which is what makes it evil. Wickedness, on the other hand, is when you do that, but you know it's wrong, you've been told it's wrong, you look like you're wanting to do the right thing. You're pretending to do the right thing and you still do the wrong thing. That's wickedness. And we read in 2 Chronicles 7.14, God saying this through um, Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their, not evil ways, but from their wicked ways. You, you pretend to be right. You pretend to be good. You pretend to know God. You pretend to be doing the right thing and wanting to please God, but you're doing evil in full knowledge of it. That's wicked. And God is about to judge Edom's wickedness. So they knew what they were doing was wrong. Hmm. Evil and wickedness. 
Both of these things is always the result of pride. And I want you to think about this. And here's my question to you. Here it is. And it's a sincere question. Do you right now, do you right now want to hear from God? Because if you really want to hear, I think God has something to say to each one of us today. And we read on in verse 16 as God is addressing the pride of Edom, the horror you inspire has deceived you. And the pride of your heart, you who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. So here we have the arrogance of Edom described poetically. And if you if you recall the, the origin of these two nations, Israel and, or Jacob, uh, whose name was changed to Israel, and Esau and the nation of Edom, you remember that the thing that caused the angst between them was when one day when, you remember when Esau had been out all day and he hadn't caught anything in his hunting trip and he, and he says to uh, Jacob, I'm famished. <laughs> what have you got there? And Jacob's cooking up a stew. Remember the, remember the scene where he's cooking up this stew and, and he says, I've got, I've, got a, I've got stew, but hang on a minute. Will you sell me your birthright? Remember the story? Will you sell me your birthright? And Esau says, what's a birthright to me now? I'm about to die of hunger. Sounds like a kid coming home from school, really, doesn't it? I'm about to die of hunger. I'm starving. There's not a kid in this room that's ever known real starvation, but that's another sermon. Here's Esau. I'm starving. All right, I'll sell you my birthright. <laughs> What's a birthright to me anyway? Pfft, who cares? What he didn't know was the birthright was God's blessing. What he didn't know was that the entire scheme of God comes down through that birthright and he sold it for a pot of stew. I wonder how many young people will sell their soul for a pill, a glass, a bed. Don't do it. Esau sold his birthright and from that moment on, he and his brother were always clashing. And the clash reached a horrible climax when their father Isaac was dying, blind and dying, and, and Rebecca, their mother, knew that her husband Isaac didn't have long to go, and she favoured Jacob. And it says that Esau had already gone off and married foreign wives because he saw that it displeased his parents. <laughs> what a motive for marriage. Hey, sweetie, will you marry me? Because I think it will really rile my parents if we get married. That is not a great foundation for marriage. But he did. And so you know the story that his uh, Jacob and, and Rebecca says to him, just put on some goat skin and, and your father is so blind, he won't know that it's not your real skin. I mean, fair dinkum. Esau must have been blooming hairy. <laughs> because... Isaac feels his arm and says, oh, it is you, Isaac. Good grief. <laughs> yeah. And so we have this, this thing where, where Isaac then imparts the blessing of the birthright onto Jacob. And that blessing means that from him, the entire scheme, the entire plan of God's redemption of planet Earth will come through him. 
And it means that he will always have his needs met. He will always be protected. He will always have an abundance. And so he gives him that blessing. And then Esau comes in with his stew and, and you know the story. Isaac says, who are you? He says, well, I'm Esau. You can't be Esau. Esau was just in here. I've already given my blessing. Oh, I see what's going on. That was Jacob disguises you. And Esau says, haven't you got a blessing left for me? No, not really. Not really. I mean, I'll bless you, but it's not the Lord's blessing. It's the best I can do. And from that moment on, he despised his brother. And he said he, he, was, he was, you know, you read in the text in, that he wanted to kill his brother, but out of respect for his father, he was waiting for an opportune time. Wouldn't that be an interesting dinner time, uh, evening meal time for the next few little whiles? You know, there's a guy sitting across the dinner table from me. He wants to kill you. This is tense. This is family rivalry. And what happened at that point is that Esau became, and I'm going to use this word jealous, but I need to correct myself because it's not jealousy. We use the word jealousy, but it's not jealousy. You see, and here's the distinction. We're better off calling this thing of jealousy actually what it is, and it's called envy. And the difference is the Bible says God is a jealous God. And what does that mean? It means he has a right to certain things and he claims that right. That's what jealousy is. Please, wives, husbands, don't ever say to your spouse when you've been spending time with someone inappropriately and your spouse says to you, I don't like you spending time with that person, please, I'm begging you, don't respond with these horrible words. You're just jealous. Because your spouse is supposed to be jealous. Because jealous means I have a right. You're mine. I'm yours. The Bible says he guard, that God guards over us jealously because we're his. We're his. But envy is what we usually mean when we use the word jealous. And even some English translations mistranslate this in some places and translate the Greek word for envy as jealousy and it's uh, it, I know it sounds like I'm making a big deal about nothing, but God can't be evil. God can't do evil. And we're going to see jealousy in this context of wanting to protect and guard and look after what is yours is a good thing. Husbands, you should be jealous for your wife. Wives, you should be jealous for your husband. You should cultivate your relationship. You see, here's the thing about envy. Envy is wanting something that you have no right to. Envy is wanting something simply because someone else has it and you want it. That's envy. And envy caused... We'll see this. That Jesus actually had a lot to say about envy. And we read in the Gospels, if you do a study on this, do a word study on this, you'll see that for the most part, Jesus was was schemed against by the scribes and Pharisees because it says this, they were envious of him. Out of envy, they said things about Jesus. And when you look at what Jesus said about envy, 
knowing that here he is standing in front of the scribes and the Pharisees, that is, the people who, was the, who looked religious. I mean, they wore religious clothes. They wore religious jewellery. They looked religious. They had locks of the side of their, their head that they never cut because they were so religious. And here he is. Jesus is talking to them, and he says this, if you have envy in your heart, you are at eternal peril. Good grief. Envy. What? Envy? This is how he said it, and it's scary. Well, if you can read this, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So this is in the context of the scribes and Pharisees criticising Jesus for what he ate and drank, and Jesus goes on and says, for from within, out of the heart of a man come... Listen, listen to this list. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, <laughs> theft... Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. And the implication is if you're defiled, you can't get into heaven for eternity. Envy will do that to you. This is not a trivial thing. This is a... This is a, an amazing thing that we read here. Envy is, if you think of the Ten Commandments, envy is akin to the sin of coveting, which is wanting something that's not yours. And the Bible condemns that. Don't live that way. And, and, and as I think about this, as I'm, I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, Jesus, you, you, you really seem to have a problem with envy. It's not like it's a little side issue. As we go through the New Testament, it's listed in nearly every list of vile sins. Envy. In fact, it seems that envy is, is the, one of the first things. It's what we might call a gateway sin. It's the gateway to all kinds of other deadly sins. And I don't mean that in the sense of what the, you know, the church says are deadly sins. I mean this can, this can literally cost you your life. This is, this is something we need to be on guard against. It, it, is, it comes out of the seedbed of pride and it can kill and destroy people. And we'll see that in this passage in, in a moment. The Apostle Paul, just to give you some examples here, he lists envy. In, if you've read Romans 1, and there's a lot of things we can focus on in Romans 1 that the Apostle says is the result of someone completely rebelling against God. But how many of us, if we were to recall that list of things that he says, would have put down the word envy? And yet it says in Romans 1 verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Oh, I wonder what that is. Evil. Oh, what is it? Well, here it is. Covetous, malice. They were full of envy, murder. Strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. And can you believe that list? Envy, right alongside murder. Hachi Kawawa. That's like I'm in trouble. Anyone, like, I could be preaching to myself here, but show a bit of sympathy here because this is, this is serious stuff. Envy has no place in the Christian's Christ-like character traits. I was almost going to say the Christian's traits, but or character traits, but then I realised I have character traits that aren't very Christ-like, and God's still got to deal with these. And I now am very hyper-aware that God does not want me as a follower of Christ to exhibit 
envy because envy says this, God, they've got something that you haven't given me. Therefore, I don't know if I can really trust you. You see the arrogance behind envy? I don't... I, I'm not sure if I've done a wedding without this scripture that I'm about to read to you having, uh, without having it read, but it's this one. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of scripture. It's from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is something and love does not do something. And here it is. Love is patient and kind. Isn't that beautiful? And this is what patient and kind looks like. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. You see, it links envy with Pride, boasting and arrogance. It's so easy to mishear this. We, we see someone who wins or someone who gets something that we wanted. It's not fair, God. They got something. That means you let me down. Can you see how envy distorts our thinking? <laughs> Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not become conceited. There's that arrogance, pride. Provoking one another by envying one another. Envy can... I tell you what, if we want to ruin this church, we want to sabotage this church, we want to sabotage Christ's witness to the people of Tasmania, and God knows we do not need another sabotaged witness for Christ in this state. But if we wanted to... Envy and the language of envy would be a great way to do it. Because if we start talking like envious people, we, we make ourselves out to be no different from those who don't know Christ. Philippians 1.15 says you could even do it sounding religious. Paul says this, some indeed preach Christ. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> from envy. So I could be a preacher thinking, oh, I've got to grow this church. I've got, to build. I've, got to beat. I've got to beat blogs down the road. He's got a church with five more people in it than me. Oh, well, I'll, I'll show him. <sighs> if I was you and that was my attitude, I wouldn't come here. I'd think I was sick. What a sick puppy pastor he is. He's pathetically envious. And can I tell you, unfortunately, I may be a bit. Please pray for me that I get delivered from any trace of envy because what I see here is that Christ does not like envy because at the root of it is a pride and arrogance that is essentially idolatry. It's saying, I'm not going to trust God. God lets me down. God doesn't deliver. He doesn't give me the things that I think I need. <laughs> well, I'll have to take matters into my own hands. That's envy. Titus 3.3, Paul says, for, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. This is him contrasting the Christian life with the Christ-centred, Christ-honouring life. Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. <laughs> what a way to live. Who wants to live always angry and hating and speaking enviously? And how can you hear envy? And here's what the Apostle Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He links envy with malice. And I think the two are inseparable. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You see, when you're envious of someone, 
you will have malice toward them. You will have slander toward them. You will use the word but in your conversation about them. Um, you know, that Craig Spalding guy is a great guy. But he's not as great as me. It's like, I would never say that, Craig. But, oh, but. <laughs> you see, but just twists. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, but have you heard the latest? Gossip, slander. See, that's what envy does. Envy puts something in our heart that says, I'm missing out and I'm angry with you, God. I don't know if I can try. I don't know if you deserve my trust, quite frankly. And Jesus Christ models in the perfect way for his followers, for us, those who say, I want to follow Jesus. What an envy-free life looks like. See, even those people that were envious of him, the scribes and the Pharisees, he didn't mock them. And you can read Matthew 23 and he calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them hypocrites, but he's not mocking them. He's saying it in, in, an, in a compassion and a love that maybe you and I will never see in another human being, but he did it. And it's not a slander, it's not a malicious, it's not a put-down, it's not, yeah, that church is, you know, well, yeah, they're, they're drawing a crowd, but they're not really drawing a congregation <laughs> like we are. Or that business is doing well, but gee, they cut corners. So it's envious language. And here's what it looks like when you get Jesus and what he calls us to do. And if you can get what trusting God looks like, it's got to at least begin to sound like this. Romans 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And how often does the envious person rejoice with those who weep? <laughs> oh, good. Your team lost. Yay. <laughs> it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice. So what if we just got someone out who's been serving the Lord quietly, faithfully, behind the scenes, we brought them out and we said, this person's been working tirelessly for the Lord. Let's give them a clap. And how many people go, I'm not giving anybody but Jesus a clap, which is code for that should be me. Let's not be like that. Edom envied Israel, coming back to our Jeremiah text, and as a result of their own pride, they experienced their own downfall because that's what pride does. And it says in Jeremiah 49, verse 20, Therefore hear the plan the Lord has against Edom and the purpose that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman. Even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. And that's the problem. Your envy not only hurts you, it hurts those you're supposed to be caring for. Surely their fold shall be appalled at their fate, at the sound of their fall, which always follows pride, the earth shall tremble, the sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. And here's my plea to you today. Let's not be like envious Edom. When someone does well, don't be like the pastor at the pastor's conference 
who had, he went up and did the polite thing and asked another pastor, and how are you going? He said, oh, it's great. I've been in my church three months now. It's already doubled in size. I mean, and, and, and the other pastor goes, oh, that's fantastic. He said, yeah, but that's not all. The board said, I'm doing such a great job preaching. They've tripled my salary. That's fantastic. Yeah, but that's not all. They've given me a new car. That's fantastic. Yeah, but that's not all. They've also given me a 12-month fully paid sabbatical. It's awesome. That's fantastic, says the other pastor. Anyway, enough about me. How are you going? He said, I'm not doing so great. Why aren't you doing so great? Well, I'm just, I'm just so full of anger. I'm so full of rage. I've been going to a therapist. Oh, how's that going? Well, he's given me a little mechanism for handling it. What is it? Well, whenever I feel rage and anger come on, he tells me I have to say that's fantastic. <laughs> Let's not be envious. Let's not be full of rage and malice and slander. And here's my final question for you. And it's a sincere question. And if you will open your heart. You see, I think there are people who look at intact families. They look at children who have mum and dad and they're envious. And they wish they didn't have a mum and dad. And that's the really ugly side of envy. It's not that you haven't got what you think you should have. It's that you wish others didn't have it either. That's the horrible aspect of envy. Here's my question. Will you open your heart to God and allow Him to heal your soul? Because trust me, if you have envy in your heart, your heart is sick and you need healing. Jesus modelled what an envy-free life looks like and we do well to give it our attention. More from Dr Corbett next week. News that confounds. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Edom's Envy, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.